Welcome to the Unitarian Universalist Congregation of Fairfax. We hope you enjoy this sermon from a recent Sunday worship service. As we know, Christmas isn't the only holiday of the season, but I think it's clear to those who know me, this Jewish UU from Chicago, I love the holiday season. And in many ways, I love the traditions that come along with Christmas. I always have. When I was a young boy, I lived on a street <clears throat> where I think there were around four Christian families and the rest were Jewish. We never had a tree, although I think one year we did have a Hanukkah bush. <laughs> so I would, uh, which had blue and, light, and white lights on it, it wasn't the same. Uh, so I would go next door to the Catholic family's house and I would help them decorate their tree. They had a young man my age and he was my friend, and I spent a lot of time there when I was a young boy, so I was invited to help every year. I remember putting a great deal of tinsel on the tree. I loved tinsel. My understanding now is that tinsel is not appreciated in the tree recycling process, so no more tinsel for me. Now, when I was a boy and I was decorating that tree, I didn't really know much about the history or theology. What I knew was that there were Christians. We weren't. They believed in Jesus. We didn't. They got to have a tree, and we got to light eight candles for eight nights in a row. And they had many more songs. We had a couple, but mostly the dreidel song. They had shiny, pretty colors, Santa, Reindeer, TV specials with Andy Williams, Bing Crosby, Bob Ho, Perry Como. We had chocolate coins. It just didn't really seem fair. I never really wanted it to be <clears throat> a Christian thing, but from those days forward, I wanted to celebrate the birth of the baby Jesus because it was so much prettier. It was also pervasive throughout the land. There were lights and trees everywhere, and as a boy, why I would ever think that the Christmas tree wasn't the invention that came straight from the Bible, or from Paul himself, or maybe some pope along the way, that would totally make sense. And yet, unbeknownst to me, the Christmas tree didn't originate with Christianity at all. When I found this out, I was shocked until I began to understand how much imagery and mythology is borrowed or woven from one tradition or culture to another. In fact, when I was in seminary, I had a New Testament professor that wrote a book titled, Does the New Testament Imitate Homer? I assure you it wasn't funny to him, which defends his thesis from an earlier book, the, Homerian, the Homeric Epics and the Gospel of Mark, that claims that the authors of Mark extensively imitated the Iliad and the Odyssey, but I digress. <laughs> Getting back to trees. According to the Encyclopedia Britannica, the use of the evergreen trees, wreaths, and garlands to symbolize eternal life was a custom of the ancient Chinese, Egyptians, and Hebrews. 
Tree worship was common among the pagan Europeans. And the History Channel's website, history.com, tells the story this way. It says, long before the advent of Christianity, plants and trees that remain green all year had a special meaning for people in winter. Just as people today decorate their homes during this festive season with pine and spruce and fir trees, ancient peoples hung evergreen boughs over their doors and windows. In the northern hemisphere, the shortest day and the longest night of the year falls on December 21st or 22nd and is called the winter solstice. Many ancient people believe that the sun was a god and that winter came every year because the sun god became sick and weak. They celebrated the solstice because it meant that at least the sun god would begin to get well. Evergreen boughs reminded them of all the green plants that would grow again when the sun god was strong and summer would return. Early Romans marked the solstice with a feast called Saturnella in honor of Saturn, the god of agriculture. The Romans knew that solstice meant that soon farms and orchards would be green and fruitful. To mark the occasion, they decorated their homes and temples with evergreen boughs. In Northern Europe, the mysterious Druids, I should say that, the mysterious Druids, the priest of the ancient Celts, who decorated their temples with evergreen boughs as a symbol of everlasting life. Germany is credited with starting the Christmas tree tradition as we now know it in the 16th century, when devout Christians brought decorated trees into their homes. Some Christmas pyramids of wood, and they had those, and they decorated them with evergreens and candles. Always a good idea to decorate dry wood with candles. <laughs> and they did that if the wood was scarce. It was, widely held, it was a widely held belief that Martin Luther, the 16th century Protestant reformer, first added lighted candles to a tree. The story goes, walking toward his home one winter evening, composing a sermon, he was awed by the brilliance of stars twinkling amidst the evergreens. And to recapture the scene for his family, he erected a tree in the main room and wired its branches with lighted candles. As is evident from this story, Christmas trees are just one example of something that's come to mean something in the world today that's very different from the way things get started. It's a bit like the telephone game. If we trace back what we hear or see today, we can tell a much different story than what we know as common knowledge now. For instance, the History Channel's story about the origin of the Christmas tree goes on to say, to the New England Puritans, some of our forebearers, Christmas was sacred. The Pilgrim's second governor, William Bradford, wrote that he tried to stamp out the pagan mockery of the observance, penalizing any frivolity. The joy service would not go over well there. <laughs> the influential Oliver Cromwell preached against the heathen traditions of Christmas carols and decorated trees and any joyful expression that desecrated this sacred event. 
And in 1659, the General Court of Massachusetts enacted a law making any observance of December 25th other than a church service a penal offense. People were fined for hanging decorations. We are in big, big trouble here. The stern solemnity continued until the 19th century when the influx of German and Irish immigrants undermined the Puritan legacy. Well, now, this is a whole different side of the story and actually sheds some interesting light on the war on Christmas as well. So often the complaint on the war on Christmas is about how this is part of the traditions and history of the Christian founding of this country. What reality seems to point to is that it's quite the opposite. And it would be interesting to see what the governor, William Bradford, would say about the Christmas decorations at Fox News headquarters. I guess the point is that things change, and as time moves on, our memories get fuzzy. And we can't always remember who started what and how what came to pass came to pass. And sometimes traditions and cultures, especially those that are dominant, appropriate things from other cultures. And sometimes they misappropriate things. The story of the winter solstice is another story of the season, and it's a beautiful story. And the influential voice of neo-paganism Starhawk in her solstice ritual from her book, The Long the Spiral Dance, describes the winter solstice like this. She says, the night of solstice, the longest night of the year, now darkness triumphs and yet gives way and changes into light. The breadth of nature is suspended. All waits while within the cauldron, the dark king is transformed into the infant light. We watch for the coming of dawn when the great mother again gives birth to the divine sun child who's the bringer of hope and the promise of summer. This is the stillness behind motion when time itself stops, the center in which also the circumference is of all. We are awake in the night. We turn the wheel to the bright light. We call the sun from the womb of the night. Blessed be. Now, as we all go through life, I know, because I see it around me every single day, we want so badly to feel connected and to have hope in some ways that miracles can exist, like the miracle of thriving together in peace. I hear people say it. I, I see it in the images of the season. I know people crave it, and yet, in so many ways, this miracle eludes us. I personally don't much care whether or not the New Testament came from Homer, or if there was a real, live, actual baby Jesus born to Jewish parents, or if the oil that only could have scientifically lasted for one day lasted for eight days, or as Starhawk says, that the breath of nature was suspended while the dark king is transformed into infant light. Because what I think is, we are all watching for the coming of the dawn, when the great mother again gives birth to the divine sun child, who is the bringer of hope. We're all telling stories over and over again 
that miracles are possible and that there, just over the horizon, there is someone or something that will help us to find common ground or to break the cycles or unhealthy patterns of our individual and collective lives, that there is perhaps some external facilitator of transformation. Or maybe what these stories are telling us is that there's something within us, a light of the season, a light of love, a light of tolerance, truth, and understanding that under the right conditions can come forth. Maybe what all these stories are telling us is that we can't always wait for the external thing to be the mythical savior with the power to save us, but the power to save ourselves and each other resides in each one of us. In fact, maybe that's what would be the most miraculous thing about these stories. There's a line from the solstice celebration we used to celebrate at First Church in San Diego that goes like this, may you, like the great mother herself, birth your own light to illuminate your journey. Remember, there will always be darkness in this world. And the story of Solstice tells us that the darkness of winter as the darkness of the womb is where creativity happens and where birth comes from. And as soon as we move forward from the darkness back to the light, as the cycle repeats, as the stories of the holiday season return and return, as the myth of miracles gets repeated year after year, I invite us to think about how from the darkness we can give birth and nurture the inner light of love. We can bring hope. We can bring peace. As we look and find the divine light in ourselves and each other. These are the miracles of this season that century after century have been woven together to speak to our desire for birth of light to be born in this world. No matter which version of the seasonal stories we embrace, may we find the hope that we will lead to that birth of love, of light, of peace, now and in the years to come. May that be so, blessed be, and amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from the Unitarian Universalist Congregation of Fairfax. To listen to more UUCF sermons, open your favorite podcast app and search UU Fairfax Sermons. UU Fairfax is one word. Thank you.